Hello, and welcome to the Libertarian Podcast. I'm your host, Troy Senek, joined, as always, by the Libertarian himself, Professor Richard Epstein, Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution, as well as Professor of Law at NYU and Senior Lecturer at the University of Chicago. Today, single-payer and the future of healthcare. And Richard, here we are just a few months after efforts to repeal and replace Obamacare went south, and the conversation has now shifted to whether or not the United States should be looking at a single-payer health care system. Few states have looked at this, but most conspicuous of late, uh, Bernie Sanders has introduced a bill at the federal level with some pretty prominent co-sponsors, Elizabeth Warren, Cory Booker, Kamala Harris, proposing a nationwide single-payer system. Sanders sometimes calls it Medicare for all. Uh, before we get into deconstructing this, why don't we just start off with definitions. What do we mean when we talk about single-payer health care? Well, it's actually a kind of a complicated question. Um, the common element in all of these situations is that everybody who works throughout the system is paid for out of general tax revenues, raised this, that, or the other way, and then distributed um, to health care providers. Um, in some cases, what happens is that there are, for example, in Canada, a national tax, which is then distributed to the province, and there are strict budget caps, which you have to satisfy as you go forward um, with your payment to individual groups, specialties, and doctors. And the same thing exists in England. Um, you could have a single-payer system, which has a private option, which is associated with it. Uh, so everybody's entitled to join in the system. In that sense, it's a single payer, but people who want to opt out can do so. And in fact, even if you have a single, only single payer, um, you could always have the option where somebody will decide to go overseas and get treatment there. And I don't think the United States would want to hound people. Uh, what's clear about this is one of the major institutional transformation is you don't know whether or not any of the intermediate institutions which exist in the United States would continue to do so. Uh, would you still have the Blue Cross type situations? Would you have the large private health share insurance companies? Uh, would hospitals now be owned by the government or would they be owned by private parties and so forth? Would doctors be on salary uh, or would the payments go to groups and then the groups could determine the payments to the individual doctors within the salary and so forth? Um, these operational details are extremely important and nobody quite knows exactly how they go. Uh, but there's also the question when you have a single payer is do, do people have to pay in order to get to some extent in the system? Co-payments of some sort, deductibles or whatever. Uh, Bernie Sanders seems to be the most radical of all situations. I think he would literally abolish every private institution that currently serves in the healthcare market so there'd be no more Aetna, no more Humana, no more Blue Cross and so forth and that everybody would be entitled to get as much medical care as he seems to think appropriate at a zero price and one just has to shudder to imagine what the cost would be if you take a supply curve and drive it all the way down to the x-axis. There's a lot of territory on there, and it turns out the more people who come into the system, uh, the marginal cost of feeding or taking care of each additional person becomes higher, uh, so the structural deficits will become enormous. And when they did you know, dry runs on this in places like California and Nevada, uh, the numbers, if you would even do remotely credible things, simply overwhelm the operation of the particular system assuming current levels of efficiency, which will never exist because medical programs like everything else have scale effects. Uh, you may think you could expand a little bit and make it better on a per unit basis, but after when you get large enough, it turns out the marginal costs start to go upward. And if you're trying to do this through one national health care system without any clear sense as to what the divisions are with respect to collection and payments, you're not only asking for trouble, you're asking for suicide. 
Now, single payer isn't a novel idea. It's been tried elsewhere in the world. Obviously, the specific practices differ by country. But from those examples, what does the evidence tell us about how these systems work in practice? Well, it turns out that they're constantly a mixed bag. Um, A lot of what's going on depends very heavily on um, uh, the composition of the population, um, how healthy it is, how large or how small the country is. If you have a homogenous upper-middle-class country like a place like Denmark, it will work pretty well. In Canada, it works tolerably well. In England, I think it has a bit more trouble. In the United States, where it'd be huge on the one hand and highly variable populations by region and by economic stuff, I think it would probably work less well than it is. Uh, The programs that tend to work pretty well also build into them a clear kind of a capitation system. And what that capitation system says is we pay the physicians or the health care plan so much per patient and then they have to economize on the services in question. Uh, so what happens is when you put these things into place, things start to change. Americans have under Medicare a very unusual combination. They have very low payment and a very large list of stuff. And if you try to do that not only for the 55 or so Americans under Medicare, but for everybody else, um, the demands would become inordinate. So the other countries all tamp down by making health care universal but making the protections relatively thin. So in the United States, we spend much more on dialysis uh, for kidney patients than any of the single-payer health care systems do. And what you could expect is if you introduce single-payer health care, uh, dialysis is going to be in some sense of a retreat as we go to the other situation. And so what will happen is one of the problems is there's no question that Medicare people will be worse off under a single-payer people system than they are currently because you can't replicate that level of benefits for everybody else. And with respect to the other sorts of the population, if this system is as inefficient as I think it is, everybody else will be uh, worse off as well uh, because people will have to essentially wait for their services. Right now, if you're somebody who desperately needs services, you're a highly productive individual, and you can't afford to be out of work for weeks, uh, you can get an appointment right away by going to a doctor who will charge you very high prices for immediate access. Um, Queuing, which is the method you use under a national health care system, will put these people back in the line. But they're extremely critical on the production side. Uh, So what you have to do is to ask the question, when you start having queues, what's going to happen to the rate of production in various kinds of workforces? What's going to happen to the kinds of health class that employers put into place because they know this stuff? And the answer is it's going to be pretty bad, I think. And if you talk about the European system, they all like the coverages and they all hate the delays that are associated with the operation of the system. Uh, But you haven't seen anything yet because in the European situation, in the Canadian system, the queues form, uh, but at least they're conscious of the problem. They try to move things along by thinning out the benefits. But if you essentially don't do that and keep the list of benefits that you have either under Medicare on the one hand or on the alternative, you give those um, that are... uh, associated with the Affordable Care Act, this program will blow up, which is why I don't think it will ever be passed. But it's great rhetoric to say everybody gets something for nothing. My great friend, the late friend Alan Meltzer always used to say that the definition of socialism is you keep spending until you run out of somebody else's money. And that may be well in this particular case. There has been a drumbeat for at least 10 years since we started talking about what became Obamacare, that government has to have 
a heavy hand in healthcare. That healthcare doesn't operate in the same way as other markets because it's a a necessity, and b can be in the case of severe illness or injury, incredibly expensive. Is that an argument that you find persuasive? I find it a dreadful argument in so many ways. I mean, food, clothing, and shelter used to be defined as necessities, and it turns out they are, and they can be supplied very well by a competitive market. If one were to try to look and figure out what it is that the difficulties have come in the way in which we've gotten to the current state of affairs, I don't think you want to treat this as a function of market failure. I think you want to treat it much more as a function of regulatory failure. And let me mention some of the kinds of failures that I think take place. One of them is the great problem with respect to mandated benefits. If you're in a thoroughly prosperous state like Illinois, which is near bankruptcy, you will look and you will see that the standard health care plan provided for by an employer has to have 80 or 100, some very large number of mandated benefits, most of which would not be sold in a voluntary market. These things act like an implicit tax on the rest of the stuff that you want. And when the tax gets too high, people stop buying. So if you do this nationwide, employer plans 30 years ago would cover 60% of the population. Today they cover 50% of the population. And with our population in the workforce, that's over 15 million people become uninsured because you try to make all of this stuff going too thick. The second thing is we also do lots of things that thwart competition, which would be enormously beneficial. So one of the things that you do that tends to thwart competition is you don't allow insurance companies to compete across state lines. Uh, thicker markets will generally produce lower prices, but one of the deals that the Obama administration made with the insurance industry uh, to keep them from sabotaging the bill was to say, we'll keep your comfortable local monopolies in place, and that will, in effect, uh, uh, get us the political support, but it also raises prices for everybody else. Um, so that's the second kind of problem that you have. Uh, the third problem is you try to get physicians to move from one place to another, and it turns out state licensing laws can be an enormous impediment on these kinds of scores. Uh, so you don't get physician mobility as people start to retire to warmer climates, and it's also becoming easier but still not completely possible for people to set up um, various kinds of industrial organizations that supply health care on a firm basis. You get places like CityMD in New York City that work very well, I might add, in part because the Obamacare deductibles are so high that a private market is actually working in these areas. Uh, but you can't get the large players like Walmart who really know how to run these kinds of distribution systems in there because they tend to be barred by, both, both, by, by local laws. So there's a great sort of divide that takes place, and we crossed it in the wrong direction 10 years ago. Uh, you could either take the problems that you see in these current markets and then deregulate in an effort to get more people in, or you could say we're going to pile another form of regulation and subsidy on the tops of the one we have, and we've done the latter. The Obamacare exchange markets supplies goods that people don't want to buy. It has an enormous set of cross-subsidies in it, which are not sustainable. And so what you then do is you run a huge amount of subsidies, thousands of dollars for individual patients to keep the thing alive, and you manage to drive out private health care plans, which actually made a profit and did things well. This is not an impressive record of accomplishment, and indeed the um, Obamacare exchanges are many of them on death's doorstep. Others are barely surviving, and the future is extremely 
difficult because it's very difficult to plan for a long-term situation uh, when it turns out that nobody knows what the future regulatory and environment is going to be and all these contracts have to be renewed on an annual basis. Uh, so uh, the Republicans are right to try to change this system. They did not do it in a particularly um, sensible fashion. Instead of looking at the mandates that are associated under the Obamacare program and trying to relax them, they've tried to have you know much more dramatic changes and give huge block grants to offset the loss in coverage. And nobody knows whether or not those amounts are going to be sufficient or too great or too little. And my view is, generally speaking, when you see too much regulation, the best way to proceed is with deregulation rather than new regulation and new subsidies, which when taken together make the system even harder to operate. One of the core beliefs that Bernie Sanders brings to discussions about health care, really to almost any issue involving corporations, is that there are these, I mean, to use his diction, fat cats that are steering the system to generate excess profits for themselves and that they're sticking it to the little guy in the process. And that's also a view that you'll hear from the man on the street sometimes. Um, Sanders, for instance, constantly sings this tune when it comes to the issue of prescription drug prices. How do you respond when people say these are systems that are driven by greed and these executives could be taking far less money for themselves and passing the savings on to the consumer? Well, let's just start with the the salaries. Um, You know, a top executive at a company like Pfizer or Merck and so forth probably earns, uh, you know, say 15 to $20 million a year, which makes them get paid as much as a good shortstop for the New York Mets. I mean, so uh, you're starting to look at these salaries. You can say they're very large, uh, but on the other hand, they're tiny compared to the amount of money that these corporations generate in sales and revenues. So Pfizer is a $50 billion a year company more. Uh, you take the top 10 people and their salaries and cut it down to zero, it makes absolutely nothing to differ with the bottom line in terms of the revenue side. And if you strip yourself of this particular talent, you're crazy. Uh, And so what happens is Bernie Sanders has never done a day in his life in a profit-making business. He has no idea about the difference between a good and a bad executive. So he treats everything as though it's a rent. Whereas when you're out there, one of the reasons why you don't get your first choice as CEO is you're only willing to pay $12 and the guy is earning $15 in his current job. If you stop talking about public corporations and look at private corporations, we don't have the innocent sap who holds these things, well, the salaries there actually tend to be somewhat higher. And even when you look in the private market, most people don't invest directly. They invest through institutions of one kind or another, the large funds and the mutual funds and so forth. These guys aren't all saps. And and so what happens is here's a guy who knows absolutely nothing about how every business runs, and he's convinced that every business in the United States that pays somebody a salary over a million dollars doesn't know what it's doing. I mean, I agree with Bernie Bernie, um, Sanders that he's not worth million dollars. His social product is negative, but he just doesn't understand the way it works um, for anybody else. I mean, there is this striking level of ignorance that you're having. Then, if you're starting looking at the firm time, you know, the measure that you want to do is to look at risk-adjusted rates of return. And this is a very tough industry in which to operate on the pharmaceutical side. Uh, the patent system has been a little bit weaker now than it's previously been uh, because of the America Invents Act, and many people, myself included, think that toughening up patent protection, lengthening terms is probably a good thing. And so that's one source of anxiety. The FDA continues to require longer periods and so forth for doing things, and it now costs you, you know, $1.5, $1.6 billion to get a new kind of molecular market 
molecule into the market and you don't know whether it's going to succeed. The late Bell Bud Relman, who was the editor-in-chief of the New England Journal magazine, uh, published once the absolutely absurd contention uh, that you don't have to worry about the carrying cost between the date of inception and the date of marketing because those are only paid for by corporations. Corporations are not people. So it doesn't matter that interest costs are three-fourths the price of a new drug. But anybody else realizes that corporations have shareholders, shareholders have financial managers, and they all understand exactly what's going on. And the FDA process reduces the rate of return um, on these drugs, so only the great blockbusters manage to get through, and then people start talking about the indignant profits and the outrageous profits, because what they tend to ignore is that uh, the profits from the winnings have to pay for the drugs that never make it through the process, of which it turns out that there are many. And so, again, um, it's not as though he knows how this system works. There are many things that you can do to increase competitive forces. Back off on what the FDA does, uh, make it easier for generics to get into market. And if it turns out you start getting new products, both domestic and foreign, into the system through legitimate challenges, uh, the drug thing will not disappear, but it will come for less. And we also have to note uh, there are huge numbers of drugs on the market which treat very serious conditions like gout and so forth, which are generics and which you could get for almost pennies. And the only reason you get generic drugs today is because you had patented drugs yesterday. And uh, we don't think much about these drugs because their price tags are small. But if you think of the consumer surplus, that is the benefit and the relief of pain that people get over the pennies they pay for a tablet on these things, this is a huge achievement. Uh, The drug industry has been phenomenal. Because, in effect, what happens is you double the price of drugs and you reduce the number of surgeries uh, that are needed, say, for intestinal illnesses. And this all works for the good. And it would be an even better industry if it turned out we had a better regulatory environment. So in a strange way, the pharmaceutical industry needs the same prescription that the general healthcare industry is. Don't add on regulations that make it more costly and less responsive. Remove some of the regulations that you have and things will start to open up. Uh, Very rarely can you achieve any long-term good by a system of price controls. And it's just that kind of an arrangement that people Sanders want. I mean, every time I think about what this man says, uh, the level of economic and institutional ignorance that he brings to these problems is uh, simply legendary. It is the work of a completely uneducated man who has spent too much time in public service and not enough time thinking hard about any problem. (laughs) Right. Thank you, Richard. And thank you, as always, to our listeners. And remember that you can find Richard's weekly column. It's called The Libertarian. It's at Defining Ideas, which is at hoover.org. And you can also follow him on Twitter. That's at Richard A. Epstein. For the Hoover Institution, I'm Troy Sinek. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of the Hoover Institution. For more information about our work, please visit hoover.org.